about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee LeGrand. I'm Tanya LeBevin. <laughs> <laughs> and we are here today with our special guest, Anik Sheedy McClellan. Did I say it right? Yeah. Good. Oh, <laughs> God. I'm sweating. <laughs> no. Is that on your resume? Like, on your resume, your whole last My name? My full name? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've had a couple, like, agents or people that I've worked with who wanted me to drop it to... Nick Sheedy because they think it's a fun like play on Ali Sheedy who I'm not related to at all um <laughs> but yeah no I just always kept a Nick Sheedy McClellan I feel like it's not it looks really long but like when you say it like when I sleep, yeah when you say it it's not bad. it doesn't sound yeah it doesn't sound too long but yeah full name Long. Yeah, make people say your full name. Demand <laughs> that fucking respect. Take all the time in the world in that room. You just start saying slowly it so pronounce slow. your name and fucking love it in the room. Yeah. If you can't tell, <laughs> Nick is also a fellow actress. Yeah. And we also have the door open. So if you can hear cars on the highway in Toronto driving by, why not just picture yourself back inside your mother's womb? And that whooshing sound is going to be comforting to you instead of really annoying, because I'm not going to fix it in post. <laughs> or <laughs> literally things shaking now from the wind. There's also a cat here, so if you hear it talking, just say, hi, garlic. And then we will oh, hear it for It would have sure. been so perfect if Garlic in that moment had been like, her, yeah, her little sound, but she's a little shy for It's a not a cute meow like that. It's no. a weird, aggressive, like, it sounds like an 80-year-old man stuck inside a frog's throat. Yeah. Or like an 80-year-old woman, like, yelling at her 80-year-old husband because he's walking too slow with his walking. Yeah, very mm-hmm. naggy. Very naggy. It's very, yeah. It's like, laughing. It is a little bit like, yeah, also like, not meow. Like, there's no M to it. No. No. It's like really... Yeah, it's not around. It's, like if I were yeah. in, if I were in cats, let's say. Yeah, I would definitely be that naggy cat. I mean, I wouldn't even dance. I would sit on the side of the stage and I would eat a burrito and just fucking go at whoever was sitting directly yeah. in front of me. Um, I don't think there's one of those type of cats in cats though. Hey, hey, there can well, there be. Can now. be. That's so funny. What's the point of of having the same show? It's bring the new but different. Same, same, but different. Well, this is the different that we're adding to the next (laughs) cast show. We're bringing in the 80-year-old who is a little bit naggy. Yes. She's the new cat. (laughs) Well, why do people go to cats in the first place? What, to see uh, flexible, feline, sexy dancers on stage? Yeah, I'm going to bring the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) I have the part. Yeah, cat was the first... Cats, sorry, was the first... Show? I feel like maybe the first, maybe not the first live show, but the first like live show that I remember seeing and being like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I can't remember what the character's name is because I was four or five, but the ballerina you won. Um, oh, Victoria. Yeah. So I know sister, nothing about it, haven't seen it. I was make in fun it, of that's why. No, that's fine. I was, my sister and I both were like, oh, like this is us. Like we are this cat. Is your sister an actress too? No, my sister was a dancer. Um, growing up, and then we both went to the same performing arts high school, um, and she was in contemporary dance at, at school. But, um, 
Yeah, I remember seeing that show, and then the, to bring it full circle, I'm doing um, a job at that same, it's at the National Art Center in Ottawa, and that's where I saw my first show, and I'm doing a show there next Saturday. That's and so cool. That's it's amazing. so It's so cool, and I was walking, I was getting, I was at a fitting uh, this past weekend, and I was walking in, uh, like, backstage, and there was a poster from that actual Cats show that was signed by the cast and I was just like having a moment and I just met this lovely woman who was like trying to I was there for only like two hours and I had to have like a script meeting and then see the guys about costumes and then get fit and all this stuff and I was just like can I just have a moment staring at this sign like I'm really nostalgic and she was just like okay (laughs) and it was so she's walking with like actors (laughs) yeah I was about to say she was like she's so awesome but I feel like she probably also was like Gay. <laughs> like, absolutely. You're the 18th person today to ask for a moment with a wall. <laughs> By all means. Yeah, please. Make enjoy love this. to a brick wall. Yeah, it was so funny. But yeah, no, so it's, I think it's going to be really, I've done a show there when I was in high school. I did a show there as well. And I remember feeling so um, excited about being on a stage that I'd seen so many shows and like it was the first time that I felt like a true professional <laughs> um so yeah so I think it's cool that was pretty much like 15 years ago so it'll be fun to like nice now go back what show yeah. are you doing was I doing then no what show are you going to be doing doing this? now so yeah. it's actually I do a lot of hosting and emceeing as like a side hustle so I'm going to be um emceeing this or co-emceeing with uh the with Alexander Shelley, who is the conductor of the, oh my god, I need to get this right, but the, <laughs> hi, I'm Nick, and I'm here to tell you what is going to happen, because I'm your host, and da, 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 I have it written on my hand, <laughs> uh, sweat it a little, and it's blurry now, but so. it's the National Orchestra of Canada, and the National Youth Orchestra of Canada, I'm really sorry if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but they're doing a show, uh, part of a series that they do for kids um and this one is about superheroes and so I get to be yeah a bunch of really cool superheroes and then also just like a really like childlike character who dresses up as different characters from movies That's and yeah I'm kind of like this goofy little thing that does all these fun little skits um to introduce the shows and I've never this is my first time working with them but I am already so in love with this idea and going to be really fun too because my they're so sweet and uh, offered to give me tickets and so my nephew and my sister are going to come and he's five and it's the first time like he doesn't really understand what I do also going in full circle yeah exactly it's so cool I love that it's about superheroes as well oh nobody can see but I have like as Nick was talking I put my mask and my cape on <laughs> I'm really excited. Like, I'm so excited. So, yeah. It's going to be so fun. But yeah, so they're going to get to see it. And he, I mean, our jobs are so weird. And a lot of the work that I do, he could never see at this age just because I do poor what? <laughs> what right all actresses how often do you get that question and how much do you hate it oh, oh, God. You. I know like when you're, like, you're a waitress and yeah and the, the number of times like you get asked are you on the dessert menu oh you're an actress I yeah. just did air quotes for you but, yeah. and then they're like, so, uh... Actually, I'm an actress without those air quotes that you're, those, that weird, like, the weird things that your body is doing. Lose that? 
I love, okay, I'm jumping around, but this, I was at a, um, I'm, I was at a gathering. I'm just going to protect all people here, mostly my mother, but I was at a gathering for my mom, in honor of my mom, uh, last week and met, I mean, I'm just going to say now, I met one of her colleagues. I was going to be like a stranger, but like one of her colleagues who, um, I had never met before and he came up to me and was just like, so like, what do you do? And we were speaking French. I'm francophone. Um, and in French, the word for actress is comédienne, and he answered with like, oh, because a lot of people confuse them and don't know that that actually doesn't mean like stand-up comic, it means yeah. actress. And so he was like, oh, like, are you an actress or do you tell jokes? And I was like, well, I'm an actress, but I'm like really funny. And he laughed, and then I was like, oh, cool, like, this is not going awkward or where I think this is going. And like, mm -hmm. he was like, that's funny. And then he was like, so are you like famous yet? And I was just like, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Done. Like, it's not. And like, that's my cue. Yeah, exactly. And I take a bow because I'm so tired of, I mean, we're also tired, but also it just feels so, I get it. Sometimes people are just, just they don't know what to say or they're interested or they're like curious. It, it but that is, does seem to be a lot of yeah. normies assumptions. Yeah. That, or that my favorite is, you want have you be, been in anything that I've seen? Yeah. And I'm like, mm, Canadian, so probably not. I, I like, yeah. well, I don't know what fascinates you. Are you into hardcore porn again? <laughs> <laughs> no, but for sure. And also, like, you want to make a joke because you want to make them more comfortable, but you're also, I remember being in drama school and graduating from drama school, and one of the, like, classes that we had at the end of the conservatory was going out into the real world, basically, and, like, how to pitch yourself and how to... Um, have meetings with new people that you want to work with and all this stuff. And one of the things that this casting director that I adored said was, stop being afraid to say, I'm an actor, and then leaving it there. Like, you don't have, we all want to, like, really explain it out or say, like, I studied theater. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you want to, like, be, like, defending your choice to be yeah. an artist as opposed to just leaving it there. Mm -hmm. And then she was also, like, she was the best and had been in the business for like 60 years and talked about how like when you meet someone and they say I'm a doctor like you don't ask them like oh yeah like what's the last operation I you swear did it cut brains. yeah exactly and so they were like if someone says that to you don't feel the need to like answer it just be like yeah sure. no like this is what I do and you don't need you are an actor the minute that you I feel like I'm giving a speech about being an actor, but you are an actor the minute that you decide that you're an actor and you don't need to sort of like have worked or have a certain amount of credits on your resume to be an actor. Like that's it's not... It's interesting that that um, presupposition exists or the, the, the fact that we almost feel that need, mm -hmm. and I say we in a very general sense, but mm -hmm. it is more common to have, to hear that from an actor um, as opposed to say you meet a teacher at a party they're like I'm a teacher you know I did do schooling to go to and like <laughs> I you and like they get, they don't get yeah. into discussions about what their classroom is like and what their their credit is to but be yeah. able to is like so what do you teach and that's the end of it yeah but the other thing flip side to that when you meet people i've now developed this thing to like when you you know when you meet someone or like when you're interacting with someone in a taxi or like somewhere who asks mm -hmm. you what you do and you don't want to say actor because... Do you lie? 
I lie all the time. <laughs> I say, and no offense to anyone who is a dental hygienist, I say I am a dental hygienist because I don't feel like there's a follow-up question that I won't be able to answer. Like, what are they going to say? Like, what do you do? And I'll say clean teeth. And then like, that's pretty much the end of it. And it's like interesting. Yeah, I did, I did it. And it's interesting enough that like, like, it's like, oh, cool. But also isn't like, there's not really many follow-up questions. I think that's the the one that that's you think fair. there's a lot. If you met a di- your face is saying like, if I met a dental <laughs> I would ask her. <laughs> I think you need more backstory in it. No, no. What I was, I was going to say is it is almost kind of, fair to play devil's advocate because what an actor is is still so ephemeral mm-hmm. and especially today's day yeah, and yeah. age like look how much that role has evolved and what yeah. that mean, what it means to actually be an actor today you you don't belong to a hollywood system you don't belong to one big network or no, no, one no. company and, and you're like tethered to doing 10 films with them over the next 10 years yeah. it is it is so much more compartmentalized and and it means that you're also probably these days if you are working that means you probably are wearing so many other different hats i was gonna say doing so many things and it oh is God, yeah. so often when people have all those follow-up questions i know that it's not coming from a place that is critical or that is judgmental but it's often just from curiosity and it's not that I don't want to be open to discussing what I do all the time because I think it's interesting and I love asking people all the other questions about what they do but Mm -hmm. sometimes when it doesn't feel safe or when I don't have the energy to do all the follow-up questions it's Mm -hmm. become a like defense mechanism to lie and be like I I can't. <laughs> like yeah, I don't I can't have it. You. I don't have it in me in that moment. And also I think growing up, I started acting when I was really young and it was such a thing that I did, but then when I graduated from high school and it was like this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life and like I'm very serious about it. I'm sure you've also both been faced with people who are like, so like, when are you going to stop doing this thing? (laughs) When are you going to start doing? When are you going to get a real job? Yeah, a real job. What is real? Yeah, a real, a real job. And, and oh my God, wait, what is real? (laughs) From where we just came from? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so true. What is, what is real? It's a callback to what nobody understands who is listening to this podcast right now. (laughs) We went to, what, what was it? We went to a free conversation that was put on at one of the Toronto public libraries, basically basically about Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it did kind of start off slow where it was like, oh my God, are we going to drink Kool-Aid and sign emails for we, that I was? fully thought, I was like, they're going to pass around a hat, mm-hmm. they're going to make us drink something. I also thought it was going to be, just from reading the signs, that it was going to be like, somehow Scientology <laughs> and then yeah. I was just like how did we get tricked into this like <laughs> like usually I'm aware of this but yeah no it was Tommy's fault she invited us you purchased the free tickets ticket. anyways it was really cool and very it interesting was. and like we talked about on the way back I I feel like once you're out of organized school so rarely in our society now do you sit around with strangers and hear their actual thoughts or have a conversation or hear people's ideas in a in a place like that. And so, if anything, what it reminded me of was being in a classroom, but in a nice way, like in mm-hmm. a, oh, yeah, like we're all yeah. learning. And like as much as the topic at hand was not the most 
specific. Like it was a lot of like, it, yeah, the push the button thing. I can't explain that properly, but basically well, they just weren't as, I guess they were too pushy gentle. in. Yeah, they weren't as pushy in mm-hmm. in the ways that I have personally um, seen prior to that in in institutionalized religious settings. Yeah, and but even institutionalized philosophical like even if we want to take away the religion aspect of yeah, it like true. any sort of like this is the way we think or even I think school it, is a good example because yeah. that is also an institution it, it's institutionalized education yeah. which is don't even get me started on, on <laughs> same, how same. That is. but yeah it, but it, yeah. Is, it, it is like a, yeah. a nice thing to go for a meeting of the mind yeah and it was kind of cool that he one of the one of the speakers was so open about you know not wanting to offend any any other anything anyone who brought other like spiritual yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and um as an actor one of the things that since i've left organized school i've always and by that i mean like organized theater school i always look for we all take class but this concept of like a gym where you go and you work out your acting skills Mm -hmm. this felt like a little bit of a like oh like let me go work out the part of my brain that like learns something, processes it, creates an opinion, and then, like, also hears other opinions. It's nice mm-hmm. to have, like, a brain gym. An intellectual sense. gym. Yeah. yeah. I, I had so many more questions. I, <laughs> I, you know, I was like, you're like, you <laughs> love everything. I'm like, oh, but I, no, yeah. I think I people like already questions. know that I like to talk. I mean, <laughs> we started a podcast just so we could talk about everything that we want to talk about, but... I, I wanted to ask about emotions as mm. actors, oh, yeah. and, and they were talking about these other kingdoms that sounded very similar to, like, you know, we are fallen, fallen angels, and we've come down to another level, um, and I had issues already with the word fall and how I that know, same though. automatically associated some sort of, like, qualification with these different kingdoms that yeah. may or may not exist, but, but the idea of, I really wanted to know if not just... I think my question was whether or not these these other kingdoms above us that we came from had a sense of binary or duality. Mm-hmm. If um, that and they explained that it was something that was only really pertinent to this material world, but I I think what what I believe in is that if there's any kind of connection to something that is not um, that is more ephemeral that is not of the material world, the only thing that I can assume would be a connection to that is emotion like that's mm-hmm. that's sure what's coming from this chemical reaction well, inside your brain talked about that spark being your heart so and your soul and your somehow soul. you're well I, I and when they talked about this feeling of unrest that's one of the things that they they kept coming back to mm-hmm. was that you will seek to like no one can force you to go on this path that will then not complete your journey, but lead you to the next phase in your journey. And this feeling of unrest would, even if it isn't um, brought on by emotions, would obviously be attached to your emotional Mm. being because feeling unrest brings on sadness, longing, um, anger, or once you complete the rest page, you know what I mean? Once you like (laughs) complete it, happiness and feeling like elated or something. So yeah, I wonder what they would. And if you then, the part that I thought was so interesting is they talk about um, our soul or our, um, what's, they kept microcosm, our microcosm, right? 
Um, micro microorganism or microcosm? Microcosm. I can't remember. Yeah, I, think I, I mean, the pamphlet's right there, but sorry, guys. The micro something um, goes on a cycle, like a cyclical journey, and is reborn and comes back and keeps the knowledge that it's acquired throughout, which kind of like calls back to like old souls or any of that sort of thought process as well. But I always wonder with old souls, if you also bring not only your knowledge, but I think you bring sometimes some of your pain or some mm. of your joy or some of the, the emotional baggage that comes with one living a million times on the same place or different traumatic experiences or fantastic experiences mm. that have happened. So I, I don't see how there wouldn't be an emotional realm, but they didn't seem to feel the need to like, they talked a lot about intellectual and then physical. Yeah. And not so much they like- They talk about emotion. Mm -hmm. um, that diagram that they had, yeah, yeah. the first thing I thought of when I saw that was the journey of the hero. I think it's Joseph Conrad. Is it Joseph Conrad? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's funny, I don't know if it was on the way there or after or where, I don't know if this was even the conversation that we were having, but... <laughs> at um, some point, Hills had a conversation about what she's about to say. <laughs> yes, at some point, I've spoken about this before, I'll probably talk about it again because it's, I basically, I guess it's my religion. I think this was maybe yesterday with you, Tanya. We were talking about, oh, we were talking about what we assumed Lewis's religion was, or maybe it was after today. Um, and <laughs> Hi, Lewis. <laughs> Hi, Lewis. Timelines aren't my thing. But, but what I believe in, aside from like energy, mm -hmm. um, my, I guess, doctrine or my, what I ascribe to mm -hmm. is story with a capital S. Yeah. Oh yeah. We talked about that in the car. Yeah. Today. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny how like, it's, I guess, it, I mean, it's not an organized religion, but every organized religion and every not even just religion taking that aspect out of it like you were talking about before but story is so impregnated in literally everything in our world everything it yeah was how we originally passed knowledge down mm -hmm. to for future generations and and it's that thing that is also used by yeah whatever it is whatever other institution whatever whatever the thing they want you to believe story is that vehicle yeah and it was so cool to see that it that that same vehicle that same timeline or that that process in yeah. that diagram that made me think of that i'm like mm, mine trumps yours <laughs> mine <laughs> story <laughs> story um, is in everything yeah and, and but it is like, and storytellers have been so important and are so important i think that um I think that, yeah, seeing that and, and the hero's journey and all of the different parts of their journey, I think that we, so when they were talking about what the little things that um, ignite our spark or makes our spark, spark? I mean, that doesn't make <laughs> Such sense. a sparky little spark. Sparking sparksters. <laughs> but um, the, that, that ignite the spark, I think is the, what I'm trying to say, um, are because those stories are so impregnated in us but through all of our lives and generations and through all of our communication in some way as well like I think I think it's so interesting to I've never heard anyone say that their doctrine is stories but I fully relate to that story sorry pardon with a capital S story I'm so sorry 
Um, Don't my dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've never heard of that. But I can completely understand where you're coming from, and also think it makes complete sense, and it's really interesting and. Sparks my spark. Oh, guys, <laughs> we sparked our spark. <laughs> it's also kind of a buzzword these days, though. Of I, yeah, yeah. Like, there is still part of, um, I don't know, maybe this is just, like, my cat. There's a cat climbing on Tanya. She's dead for the rest of the time. <laughs> Garland um, really wants to be a star. <laughs> you know how cats need? Like, they do that thing with their hands yeah. or paws. She's, like, doing it into my neck. Um, yeah. Her paws stuck in your necklace. It might break it. Anyway, um, <laughs> what was I saying? You were saying uh, it's a buzzword right now. Oh, right. Um, I think this is just kind of like the teenage emo in me that's like, no, I knew that band first. It's my band. And now mm. how, like, story is such, like, everyone, like, take a look at, like, the advertising industry and marketers. I, yeah. And how it's just, that can sell anything. I mean, that's also the reason why I bought Robert McKee's book. It's called Story. And it was just, like, I was drawn to it. It was a yeah, giant, yeah, yeah, it was my yeah. Bible. It's one of my Bibles. But it's, it's just, it's, it's the thing that threads through it, it's my life thread. Yeah. And as storytellers especially, it's, I was gonna say, it's as factors a to realize the potential of that tool, the power of that tool. Without a doubt. As as actors, I remember first being told, like, you've got to serve the story. And when you're, like, 15, so few things actually land. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, i got to serve the story. And then you understand what that actually means. And it's not just, like, that's that bigger than you. serve the plot. Like, it actually means serve the story and yeah. it is so much bigger than you and as long as you commit let's <laughs> I just feel so funny when I say oh, like do you have issues with the word commit no no not no. I just have issues with um using buzzwords and acting things like I find mm. it so funny I think just oh my god like, like commit more to let's make story. fun of me this is the episode where we think <laughs> every actor hate us hey guys no we love I love all actors <laughs> and that's not true. <laughs> Let's rephrase. <laughs> I think I, I don't hate, like, I love you being. You appreciate. Yeah, and I love being an actor. I'm not one of those actors who hates what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so I'm not saying, like, that I have an issue with words like that because I'm jaded or bitter or. But you've just heard them being tossed around with by people who don't exactly. understand them yet. Exactly. Enough times that you're like, just find your own language. Yeah, and I don't want to. Um, to someone who feels the same way I, as I do. I don't want it to seem like that's what I'm doing. I think that's what I mean by I have an issue with. Um, but that's so funny. I just hate you now. Hey. <laughs> it's okay. This is your breakup episode. We <laughs> I imagine. We were just talking. Uh, was it? Were we recording when we were talking about when people were like, Want us want to find out when we're gonna get a real job? Oh yeah, we were recording. Okay, sorry. Hey guys, we, we talked a little bit before, and what have you heard so far? Because we've been talking all day. All day. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that, that's actually a good segue because oh. we want to get back to what we were talking oh, about before hey we hit record. <laughs> and and we were we started getting into some heavier places yeah. and some real life places for sure. And as as beautiful of a life, like you're just such a shining bright star. Your energy <laughs> is amazing. And what we were talking Thank about you. before is that what can also kind of hurt you yeah. is when you are still being your bubbly, amazing self, but you're in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Yeah. Which has happened a couple dun, of times. Dun, dun. Boom! What a lovely story starter. Um, yeah, so I 
will yeah I can just talk about <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not I'm so used to talking about it but but you, you don't have, know where to start yes you have I, an invisible illness I have nine nine, nine invisible illnesses yeah so I have I feel like nine I say nine now just because it's easier than to like name them out to people and I will now do it. But nine you can fully <laughs> edit this out if it becomes crazy and if I forget. But um, I have fibromyalgia, endometriosis, um, I have ovarian cysts, I have anxiety and depression, I have capillary congestion, I have hypermobility syndrome, I have, where am I? Uh-oh. Celia. Yeah, I feel it. And then I have. I'll just throw some more. Yeah, I'll throw some more at me. I have pelvic floor dysfunction. Oh, I have autoimmune urticaria. I have ten. That's crazy. I have. Um, I have. I get migraines with aura because of a little ball that's behind one of my eyeballs, and we don't know what it is. And then I have a new one that is not diagnosed yet, and so. I won't elaborate too much on it, but I have something going on with my pancreas that was just discovered four days ago, five days ago, and so, yeah, 12, 12 auto, not autoimmune, all of them, but they're all chronic illnesses, none of them are curable, and... They're all invisible. They are all invisible, I mean, when I have, I so autoimmune urticaria is the only one that strangers can see, because I'll get, urticaria is like the fancy word for hives, but I get... Um, I've had hives every single day of my life since I was born, and I get giant hives on my joints, and then my joints swell, and then I'm paralyzed for a bit. So those people can see because it's redness on the outside. Mm -hmm. And then I have a funny story too. So um, the only other one that I'm trying to think that wouldn't be technically considered invisible because you can see it inside my body is uh, endometriosis, which... Mm -hmm. I'm there with you. Yeah, so endometriosis, I ended up getting a laparoscopy for um, when it was a year and a bit ago, and I had been having a lot of pain that was like dull pain for a long time, and I found the most incredible um, gynecologist who was like, listen, I don't think that it's endometriosis, so let's do laparoscopy to rule this out so that we can start the next process. And then she woke me up in the post-op room and was like, I have some news. I did find tissue of endometrioma, I think is what it's called. But yeah, she's like, I saw a bunch of spots and she showed me a, um, a picture and there were a bunch of spots and I was so excited to know to know but I was yeah. so excited that I could see something like there were um endometriosis and <laughs> sorry I again French so I want to say French words now but when I, especially when I talk <laughs> will now be speaking in French for the second half of this Ta -da! <laughs> but um when I talk most of my doctors and I speak in French to each other that's why but the um the tissue or like what it looks like is like a bunch of black and brown and purple I might be wrong there might be other colors but in my body, spots on, like, pink skin. And so it was the first time that I was, like, seeing something visual that was proof that I had an actual issue. Because a lot of my other diseases, as much as you can show me um, a blood test that shows something or we've eliminated everything else and so it is this thing, 
Um, they're not tangible. There's nothing that you can see. And something about a picture that oh, makes it, mm, it solidifies it for, for you. For sure, solidifies it and confirms that I'm not crazy. Crazy, which yep. is so silly because as long as I've known this entire, well, I've known most of this time that I'm not crazy because I'm feeling it. And yeah, it's a, it's such a, an amazing thing. And because she's the best, when I saw her at my follow-up, um, appointment. She had printed copies of it for me and gave to autograph them. and hand it out. <laughs> she gave it to me and she's like, I've never done this before, but I thought you would like it. And I was like, yeah, I did. And also she then told me that when she went out to tell my mom, I was still out. Um, but this was right after the surgery and she went out to tell my mom who was, um, there with me at, uh, the, uh, surgery. Um, my mom had the same reaction as I did and was so excited. And she was like, I've never told two people that like their daughter has, has an actual illness and they've been so happy. And I'm, yeah. So Aww. it's, yeah, my mom's For been. those who don't know what endometriosis oh, yeah, sorry. is, um, do yeah. you want to give a. I can, yeah. So endometriosis is a chronic illness where the, um, Okay, so the cells that create the uterine, no, uterus. uterine is uterus, yeah. Yeah, the uterine the, lining. Yeah, the uterine oh. lining um, end up on the outside of your uterus where they're not supposed to be, and them being there creates a uh, cluster or a splatter of tissue that is not supposed to be there and is therefore super painful. It can also lead to, there's different stages, and it can lead to, the tissue can, um, multiply in a way where it clusters all of your organs together and binds them together. And so you have to go in and, and remove that obviously, cause it creates a lot of pain. Um, it's a really apt dis uh, description. Oh, That's thanks. very well. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, what I usually tell people oh, about yeah, right? my endo, I'm just yeah. like, basically I'm bleeding internally. <laughs> and they're, they're like, how are you alive? I'm yeah. Like, I'm just dramatic. Yeah. No, but and what I found out, cause I didn't know this, but it's, not normal, but all, mm, I hate saying all, most women's bodies end up bleeding a little bit, ex like internally into, but outside of their reproductive system. Mm -hmm. um, people who have endo, the cells just end up creating bad cells. I, I feel like cancer is the one that everyone understands. Like once there's a cancerous cell, it then creates more cancerous cells. So it's mm -hmm. a very similar process with endometriosis where... Once the cells are there, they multiply and they um, they find their friends and then they yeah basically yeah. cement your organs together. Yeah, cementing your organs together, or even if it's just little tiny patches. It's so interesting because it's not one of those things. There's four stages of endo, and I at the time it was a year and a half ago, so a year and a bit. I don't know. It was a while ago. Timelines. Yeah, I um I had stage one and I was like oh cool so like I'm at the beginning and she's like that's not how the stages work and I was like so okay um but we're just so used to like one two three four and yeah. so one just means that it's patches and that it's not connecting your organs stage four is when you like all of your organs are basically like all surrounded by the scar tissue and this right. endometrioma and all that stuff mm -hmm. and um yeah and so apparently Stage one can be so much more painful than stage four. It depends yes. on the body. It depends on who. And so that's, yeah, because I was just like, oh, cool. Like, I'm just the beginning. And I was like, stage four must really hurt. And she's like, sometimes we go in and people are like mildly in pain. And then we discover that. And 
I think that, so my first big diagnosis was fibromyalgia, which is another pain-related disease. And I've, since I've been diagnosed with it, I find pain to be such an interesting, interesting and devastating um, thing to try and understand because we were talking a little bit before. I'm a regular at hospitals. I go to hospitals. (laughs) You come here A lot. And one of the questions, I'm, if you've been to a hospital because of anything that had to do with pain, I'm sure, or even if you've dealt with pain and a doctor, you've probably been asked, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your pain? And I remember as a child being like, oh, this is so weird. We had a thing in my family that, like, 6 meant we go see a doctor, and I think, like, 10 meant, like, we rush you to the hospital, because that makes only, like, it just makes sense to me now, but mm-hmm. 6 meant we go to a doctor, and I remember being like, I don't want to go to a doctor, so it's a 5, like, I think it's such a strange... That's a very backwards way of <laughs> memory. Oh my gosh, I went, I used to get an ear infection every two weeks. My body has been struggling since the beginning, but yeah, I think pain is such an interesting thing to try and understand, and so... Again, endometriosis was the first time that someone was like, no, 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 like your body can register pain so differently than someone else whose body inside is like cemented together and one is not better than the other and you shouldn't feel weak because you have no idea what the other person is feeling. And so Mm -hmm. that scale of one to 10 is... I find it to be bullshit, especially being a woman too, because we go through things every month. Yeah. We have such a high pain tolerance Mm -hmm. and growing up with pains all the time I'm like it's not that bad but to other people they're like it's a 10 but to us it's it's yeah five. and that's okay. actually how I first started so I was uh diagnosed with fibromyalgia that was kind of like my big life change medical wise um three years ago in the fall of 2015 so yeah like two and a half years ago and what led to that was actually six months prior I um was in LA with some friends and was standing up and then no longer standing up and then I fell really hard onto my wrist and I it hurt but I was fine and I was with one of my best friends who played football and so he knew how to tape wrists properly and he taped up my wrist and then I lived my life for two weeks but I it hurt but it I was doing all of, nor- like, all the normal activities that you would do, mm-hmm. and then I went back to Ottawa, and my parents noticed that I was still in pain, and they were like, why don't we just get it checked out? Like, I hadn't seen a doctor by this point, and they are like, why don't we just, just make sure that, like, maybe we can even just get you a prescription for, like, some form of physiotherapy or something, and I was like, sure, it's fine, and so we went, and turned out that I had fractured my wrist in two spots and the doctor looked at me and said I don't understand how you have been able to (laughs) survive until now without seeing a doctor like you should not be able to do that and that started me on a whole path um, where I started to understand that my pain tolerance was very high. And so when I felt pain, I usually ended up having to go to the hospital because it was so bad that I needed medical help or Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. in a dire situation. And I think that that's 
I know that that's something that's been the case since I was a child because I would end up going to the doctor and have an ear infection that was so bad that he was like, if you had waited an extra day, you would have gone deaf. Like you don't, you can't wait this long. And to me, it was like, I didn't wait this long. Like I don't get it. And that's so interesting. It is. And so fibromyalgia, it's so interesting as well, because when you start reading about fibromyalgia, it's such a, a spectrum where it's either someone is so sensitive to any sort of pain that like touching that's like what's her name in our class then right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah touching has an autoimmune disorder hurts so much that like wearing clothes is painful mm -hmm. and i have some days that are like that but my i'm mostly on the other end of the spectrum where i don't feel pain for so long and then it gets so bad so quickly and i had to sort of develop an understanding where if I feel any sort of minute form of pain, I have to like become hyper aware to it in case that's actually something that I need to like have dealt Address, with yeah. straight away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes me wonder if, if you are just like Tanya was saying, you know, if women are just more used to having, like we mm -hmm. have regular menstrual pains. Um, and and if you are just used to having all these different sorts of pains, like if you mm -hmm. build up a sort of, I don't know, an intolerance to it, yeah, that yeah. it's almost like what part of your body do you trust so that you're like, do, do I have to go now? Or am I, is my body just like tricking me into thinking like, or am I going to go deaf if I don't go to the doctor? Like exactly. what, what is my own six exactly. versus the five? Yeah. And what you just said is where a lot of my anxiety, um, stems from because this concept of trusting the system that hasn't been reliable for a very long time yeah. and that I need to in some ways retrain but then again like it's all in your head and so I'm retraining it so how do I know where the line is but and only you know like like exactly. you said going to see a doctor and having exactly. like their six might not mean your six yeah and yeah. i had the same thing happen i snapped um this pinky i, I snapped a tendon oh, playing no. football i got a football off the tip of the finger and and the tendon like whipped on top of it and i left it for days um and i just didn't realize actually i took a little piece it ripped a piece of the bone off and and so now that piece of the bone is just it's stuck there because i never it's i didn't hanging. go yeah, yeah. it it re I'm like hanging like chilling, but it's, it's, chill. <laughs> it's chilling on I'm top. I'm like not hanging off her finger. Yeah. now. <laughs> You're like, I've been staring at that all day. It's really disgusting. No, it's just a little bit bent now because yeah. I didn't go to the doctor for mm -hmm. days. I'm like, nah, yeah. I can handle it. And yeah. that's what makes me wonder is like, if, if we are already kind of used to having pain in your body yeah. and trusting, like, how do you trust that you're not crazy? Because I also, all throughout my teenage years, like I've always had... The, the pains associated with end, endometriosis. And I remember being with, um, I had a boyfriend who um, would like, kind of bully me or you know, being like, you're, oh, you're always in pain. You're always like, you're basically you're faking it. Like kind of gaslighting me. Such a baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, I, I remember just feeling, I started kind of muting myself in that sense. I, I stopped talking yeah. about what I was feeling inside yeah. because I didn't want to deal with that shame associated with like somebody who didn't For believe sure. me and that trust. Yeah. Like I had to, I think I went through a similar process of, of learning how to trust my own body. I'm still going through that. I, don't I am too. I'm not, I don't think you perfect this. No, like no, I think, no. but what you just said too, I had to, um, the big, like when I first got diagnosed 
um, with fibro. I went through a very intense two or three month process where I was like, okay, like I'm gonna go through all, basically you're supposed to do this, but like figure out all of the little aspects of your life and where they now sit and how they now will work. And one of the things what you just said that you had sort of trained yourself to stop commenting on it and to stop noticing it, I did with fatigue. Cause I've dealt with, I mean, I never slept like my, as a child, <laughs> I would, I remember clearly numerous times my mom trying to put me to bed and me being like, listen, there are a lot of things that we could do during the nighttime. Oh my God. Other than sleep. You sound like me. Yeah. And then I would wake up at like 3.30, so sorry, still parents, 3.34 and just be like, c'est le matin and like be ready and like wanting to do things. And so sleep was never something that came to me naturally. And then I got busy working and going to school and just being busy and didn't sleep a lot. And then being tired was something that was definitely part of my DNA at that point and something that I was comfortable with. And then it got to the point where it was so like, I was so tired that I developed coping mechanisms. Now I see that as that's what it was, but I would shower and need to lay down because I was so tired that the idea of drying my body was excruciating. Like the idea of it was like, wow. I need to lay down. And I didn't see that as an issue. I was like, I'm tired. I don't sleep a lot. I do a lot of things. Everybody gets out of the shower and needs a little nap on the floor. Exactly. But exactly. And like that or needing, just needing to rest a lot more. And I had developed this like pattern where it was, it was my new normal. And then having to sort of look at my life and being, I remember going trick-or-treating with my nephew and walking for 40 minutes and the next morning waking up and honestly not understanding how I was going to get out of bed because I was so tired and I used to be a gymnast I played a lot of sports I danced like being active is not it's not like I was never active or a sickly person and so I didn't understand that. And I remember talking to my doctor because this was when we were trying to figure out what was going on and why I was having all these strange symptoms that were popping up and all why all of my blood tests was coming up wonky because nothing made sense. And I communicated to him that I had talked to my dad that morning and been like, oh yeah, like I was so tired this morning. It was crazy. And my dad said like, yeah, like I also like often wake up in the morning and I'm so tired that moving sounds exhausting. And then my doctor was like, yeah, but he's like 30 years older than you. And I was like, Drew. And just this like moment of understanding like, oh, right. And I had sort of like made myself believe or convinced myself that I was, this was just a part of growing up. Like everyone feels pains and everyone. At age what? You were just supposed to take a nap <laughs> yeah. after shower. But that's the thing. Like, and you, I think you're so, we as a society and I, yeah, we, in general, um, put so much importance on working hard and pushing through it and, and overcoming things and to Western ideology. Yeah. And, and I am a go-getter and am driven and thought that I had to push through everything. And often I talk about, um, the things that being someone with 
uh, chronic illness. I almost just said spoonie and then I realized I'll have to explain what that means. But anyways, being someone who is a spoonie um, has taught me a lot of things, but one of the things that it has taught me is that this renewed um, understanding that I have to listen to my body and trust it and not in a like hippy dippy necessarily way, but just in a Hippies are welcome here. We no, just went sure. to the Crystal Dreams conference <laughs> and bought so many crystals. Yeah, I love crystals too. We were bonding, holding crystals <laughs> with great energy. But um, but yeah, yeah, I just mean it. And it, it doesn't have to be. I find that listening to your body or not feeling like you have to aggressively push through situations mm-hmm. that are hard physically. Yeah. It is definitely a Western thing to think yeah, that really we got to we got to do this. I but think that's also why I have so many like flare up from old injuries when I, sure. like, I had a father in the military who like taught me how to push through yeah. pain. I played all the sports and like, yeah. and I also didn't do the physio properly. So yeah. I, we, that's kind of the same mentality that we have here. It's like you push through the pain yeah. instead of paying attention to the pain and, and understanding what that actually means for yeah. you. And just you saying that, um, at the part of this journey that I'm on now, the other thing that I'm now toying with, but again, is such a, an interesting, you have to have such a uh, gentle trust with yourself, is I, I ended up basically like not living, is how I describe it, for almost, almost two years, and it was really hard, and I, I needed to do that to sort of reset who I was as a person and what I wanted, and I basically moved back to... Ottawa where I'm from and the only things I did was go on go to um, doctor's appointments or therapy appointments and then lay around and think a lot and one of the things that I realized during that time period um, I also had surgeries and a bunch of stuff so I, I wasn't just like oh, I'm just gonna hang out but even then there's nothing wrong with just hanging out as I said it I was like stop defending yourself but um, <laughs> we judge no one yeah and I but I ended up needing to also understand that trusting yourself also means that sometimes you're in a little bit of pain or you're in a lot of bit of pain and you can still do your life and then take care of yourself after. Because I think I, a lot of people who, or I, I know in my experience when I was first diagnosed with this and then I was told that it wasn't my fault, but that I'd been ignoring this thing. I was like, okay, for the rest of my life, this needs to be the most important thing. But it, doesn't have to be. It's part of my makeup, but it's not who I am entirely. And so, yeah, I think that dealing with any sort of chronic illness, one, many, who cares? You want to wear it proudly, but you also then learn what that means and that it doesn't need to be the only thing. Like, it's not written across my forehead. Yeah. That being said, because we talked about how all of mine are invisible, um, Today, I was on the streetcar, and I know that this happens to a lot of people, and I'm not trying to be like, woe is me, but I was on the streetcar, and I was sitting down. I'm in, I'm in a fair bit of pain today. I ended up having to take tramadol, which is a lovely drug, but is intense, and I'm definitely in an amount of pain that I could just be laying down, but I wanted to come and see you two lovely ladies, and I wanted to do this, and no, no, of course, I'm not saying it in the like, but... I wanted to do this and I was sitting on the streetcar and I look normal. I'm doing air quotes. I look healthy as far as anyone is concerned. And a girl came on the streetcar and she had a boot, like a, a, a cast, cast, a walking cast. And she came on and like 
there are a lot of people sitting down and she walked straight at me and was like, can I have your seat? And I hesitated and was like, uh, and then someone else got up and was like, no, no, take mine. And I was like, okay, cool. And I sat for the rest of the time in the streetcar being like, I wish that I had been able to say like, actually, I know you can't tell, but like, I'm in a lot of pain. And then it becomes this cycle where you're like, I don't need to put that on other people. And yet I also want to communicate it because we never talk about, we never talk about those sort of things. And you don't wear a cast. People can't make that mental association. Exactly. Exactly. And my sister and I were talking about that. And apparently there's pins that you can wear that say like bracelets, bracelets that yeah. say I have an invisible illness. And I like that idea and that I also don't like it. Yeah. Like I think that it's kind of like both. I, I'm not sure if that's what I want to do, but it made me realize I feel almost, it makes you feel very lonely in that pain because it's kind mm -hmm. of like, I don't want to feel like I have to, to overcompensate for feeling this by telling you so many details. Like you just walk on and we get to see you're in pain or you need But we also help. know that you could be a vibrant spirit who is so much more <laughs> than just somebody who wears a boot cast. Yeah, like, exactly. And we're not... There's no... You're mm -hmm. not immediately put into a box, but but I think that because there are also still these limitations or dare I say it, stigma. I really don't like the word stigma, no, but, but uh, yeah. associated. So, oh my God. Tanya has a boot cast if you just want to wear oh, it. Oh, okay, girl. <laughs> she breaks her feet on a regular basis. I'll just borrow it, you know? But we... But yeah. I, I think, um, this is my assumption, but I think that on a, a general level by wearing, because I don't know what these pins look like, but once we start to learn what they are, I don't think they have that same, mm -mm. they don't have the same connotations that a, that a boot does because you look at a, a boot and you think, oh, there's a temporary situation yeah. that um, mm -hmm. probably like is slowing them down a little bit for a little bit in their life, but is going no. to be gone at some point. It's... So I ended up in a cast um, last summer. I think it was last summer. I ended up in a cast because I have hypermobility syndrome and sometimes I don't notice, but I put a lot of strain on tendons and one of the tendons in my uh, forearm, I basically ripped up and it was so inflamed and so much pain. So they put me in a half cast to stabilize it so that it would heal faster. And I had been, this was like in the time period where all I did was be a patient and all I did, I spent all my days knowing that I was, um, working on my health and I was asked by so many strangers, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like, what's that cast about so often? And I was like, oh, like this is what it would be like if I had an illness that was out like that you could see or if and I'm not saying that that was bad I kind of one liked it because I was like oh people are noticing that I'm struggling mm -hmm. and yet I also decided from the beginning that I was going to answer honestly and so I was like well I have this syndrome blah 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 and then people are so um uncomfortable which is fine but then you realize like oh maybe I don't want people to always be noticing that there's something that I have going on with my health it's, it, it was very interesting because again, I go through most of my days, um, I'm very open about what I'm going through, but I don't, it's not my lead in. So do you yeah. get, I get it a lot when the, or at least in the hospital because yeah. it's usually like silver heads there all the time. Do you ever get, 
But you're too young to be sick. Yes. Oh my god. A million. You're too young to be sick. You're too young to have this. I've never seen someone your age with this. I always tell the story about this one. I had to get um, a. I don't know what the word is in English, but they put a camera into. Oh my, the, no, not a. Um, but into my. Let me see my um my bladder. I had to put a camera up my bladder and. Um, Rotoscope. I think it's a. Substance. Is that the one up your bum? I don't know. No, that's a colonoscopy. But a rotoscope, isn't that just like when there's some sort of incision and you go in with a tiny camera to see inside? I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, what you were talking English. about. They put a camera <laughs> into my bladder. <laughs> if you know the real term, let us know. Yeah. But, um, so they did that. And that is a, a, a like procedure that is done most often on older people. And by that, I mean like very old, old people, I guess. And so I was sitting in pre-op with, it was me in that little gown with the little booties and 10-ish people who were like 70 plus. And they were looking at me like, you were in the wrong spot, little lady, so hard. And I was just like, I felt like I had to be like, I swear I'm supposed to be here. But it was oh. such a clear, because often I'll be in a waiting room and everyone is so much older than I am. And, and you realize that, but that was such an obvious, like, oh, hey guys, like, it's just me. Yeah. I'm 28. Cause that's how I was at the time. And I, yeah, just, hey guys. So it was, it was very interesting. And yeah, I definitely get, and I find that to be so frustrating. Like, oh, you're, you're too young to be dealing with this. And it's like, cool, like, how is that supposed to make me feel? Like, how? And I've had actually doctors it, who are my physicians. Um, and I've had, had conversations where some of the diseases that I have or some of the disorders that I have most often present in people who are older. Um, garlic's being soup's cute right now. But um, <laughs> it's, like, actually, like, so cute. Hi. Um, but yeah, it, it presents in much older people. And so when they are trying to, uh, to, um, plan a, not plan, but when we're trying to decide on a medical plan uh, or a treatment plan or trying to decide what we're going to do to treat me, often we don't know if it's going to be able to sustain me for 30 plus years, or I will get... Um, when I first started um, taking cannabis products and CBD oil and stuff, one of the things that my doctor and I talked about was um, having to keep upping my dose. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you like if I was taking morphine or when I do take morphine, upping your dose constantly, you get to a point where it's so big You're and going. you can't function. Like, so... Well, that's when I can't take morphine. Yeah? That's when, they make, like, my heart basically stops. I've had that... Ex I can take morphine orally. This is so funny when people are like, listen, let's talk about drugs. But um, I can take morphine orally. Okay. Anytime that they inject me with morphine, I end up on the floor. Like, your heart stops. Yeah, I, my heart stops. Oh, and then, my God. I thought yeah. I would, I'm like... No, no, no. Yeah. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. Like, so, oh, I'm dying. Try Tramadol. Tramadol is the one that I mentioned that I take pretty much all the time. Now, Tramadol... I'm sorry if I'm wrong, whoever created Tramadol, but Tramadol was uh, developed because it has none of the addictive qualities of any opioid. It's, it's wow. basically an opioid with no addictive quality. It's fantastic. It's honestly, it changed my life because I was 
when I was first diagnosed, I was on opioids every day and I could already feel that I, like, if, if you're looking at taking this for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. it's really scary to be, I'm very aware of addiction and very aware of, of what can happen and mm-hmm. I'm weary of it, obviously, and so... I was always very much wanting to have that conversation with my doctors. And one of them was like, yeah, try Tramadol. Tramadol, I think, is new to the market. Again, sorry if I'm wrong. But Tramadol, I think, is like five-ish years old to the market in Canada. And but it's a pain, pain reliever. Yeah, it's an opioid. It's a, I forget the word, how they say it. It's like a, a non-opioid opioid. Like it's, okay. yeah, it's amazing. I can't, and it comes in like it, the first time it was given to me, was um, intravenous, but now I just have caplets of it. Um, and so what, what's the difference? What do you, I've never taken CBD yeah. oil. Cool. So um, what's the difference? So CBD, oh, again, but I'm going to, if I'm wrong, it's honestly just because I, I'm wrong and I have no All issue. actors now hate you. So many pharmaceutical <laughs> companies are about to sue you. I guess. <laughs> just, but no, I just, if I, I'm not an expert in any way. This is just what I know of it, but um, when I first started looking into taking any sort of cannabis products, because there's so many benefits to it and so many things, so many, um, ways that it treats different, um, parts of my different illnesses, a big thing that I was wanting was something that could fit into my life and that I could maintain my lifestyle. So I didn't want to be, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I didn't want to be high and some people want to feel high mm-hmm. in the medication that they take because they need that. And I really wanted to, um, function to properly. function. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to function. And I wanted to add things into, cause like I can't, I take morphine when I need to, cause my pain is so bad and I can't handle it, mm-hmm. but I'm really funny on morphine and my sister no joke, when she finds out that I've taken morphine, is like, I'll come take care of her, because she's like, you're the most fun when you're on morphine. There's an entire YouTube channel you're unaware <laughs> of me. that your sister's No, but she, she fully, I'm not, this is not me, like, making fun. Like, she will drop everything to take care of me on morphine. Like, it's really, That's apparently I'm great. Awesome. I know, I have no idea. But, um, yeah, so I really wanted to not be high, is what I'm trying to say. But I started, CBD is just the part of the healing component. Yeah. And it's the part that gives you a body buzz as well. So I started, um, experimenting with different dosage of it. And I'll be honest for the first two months, I was like, this is doing nothing. And I hated it. And I was just like, this is not even, and you start off so little dosage wise. And I think that I, when you're so hyper aware of everything, it's also hard to notice it's doing anything it did make me sleep which is great like I noticed being able to sleep better pretty much from the get-go that's good yeah and then I took a break for like four months because it's not cheap that's for sure no for sure and the thing that is I've done so many drug trials at this point and basically have to like coordinate them and plan them out and so when I took that four-month break I was I mentioned it earlier, I was put into menopause for a little bit to see what that would do for my endometriosis and also some of my other symptoms. That's your one cool thing for the end of the episode that you've had hot flashes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll talk about it later if you want, but yeah, so I was put into menopause. Um, it's called Lupron. Um, it's something they inject into your bum and then 
Yeah, you're in menopause. I forget where I was going with this. Oh yeah, that was the the, the break um, that I took from CBD. And then when I reintroduced it is when I noticed, I was like, oh, like this is making a big impact. And I also noticed it on my anxiety. I think that that was the first one that I was like, this is actually making an, not instantaneous because it has to get into your bloodstream and blah, blah, blah. But I noticed it straight away helping with my anxiety, with my insomnia and with my pain, not so much in a pain relief, but in a like, it like just like kind of softened everything Calms, pain wise. Yeah. yeah, I felt like I was less reactive and I felt like I didn't, I don't know if it distracts me from it, but it feels like it's less overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, the pain like becomes less. Like you're just more accepting of Yeah, and it feels happening. more mellow. And then in the past, gosh, two months, two months? Yeah. Yeah, two months, um, or even maybe a month. But anyways, in the past, recently, <laughs> that doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean. Um, I've introduced um, different forms that have a little bit of THC <laughs> as well. And this is a shout out to Nicole in LA and Bianca, who are amazing. And for my birthday, sent me a box. They work at a dispensary in LA. And they sent me, I don't know if this is legal, Anyways, um, <laughs> maybe we'll take the shout out back. Oh, Anyways, no, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. But they sent me yes. products that, um, like, I'm like, oh no, you guys are fine. <laughs> We've changed all like voice over the yeah. names. With <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they are incredible and so sweet and thoughtful and sent me products that they know that patients there have been really liking. Um, who have similar conditions or the same conditions as, as I do. And I just started, yeah, in, in like introducing different things that have a little bit of THC. And I think I've also gotten a little bit more comfortable when you first get diagnosed with illnesses, you want to be hyper aware all the time as well, because you like are so scared that you're going to miss something and that mm. you're not going to notice the one little thing that is the answer. And I think I've softened a little bit in regards to that because I know that I can't always be aware and I'm gonna miss things and that's life mm -hmm. um but yeah so now I'm a little bit more comfortable with being high on purpose mm -hmm. um not I'm still sorry friends I went to an art school and I think okay. everyone's goal was I'm not I never did drugs um, and I'm not just saying that because my parents might listen to this I'm just <laughs> not into drugs mm -hmm. and um people really always wanted me to smoke with them but now I, I see it as much more of a therapeutic thing towards my anxiety and to towards um helping me sleep and it's yeah. just been really good it's uh it's so been really nice what's the relationship as an artist yeah what's the relationship between um because I think we also go through that just as artists um you know minus the pain factors and minus any illness factors wanting to always be aware mm -hmm. and and almost kind of knowing what the secret is to a scene like being able yeah. to crack a scene and being able to play the right notes in a yeah. scene and um and having that hyper awareness and hyper, that attention hyper observant too yeah. i know exactly what you mean yeah, yeah so what would you say for somebody who has you have that going on in in different senses so you do mm -hmm. it professionally as yeah. an actor what's the relationship between um your job as an actor and what you go through with the 
with your illnesses or that hyper awareness that you bring, like both yeah. of those journeys, the two hyper awarenesses. Am I making I think, sense of my no, question? Without a doubt. Um, I think, so I started acting when I was 11, 12, I guess, professionally. And I clearly started with this health journey at birth. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it from the beginning, but it's fine. But I think that the journeys were very parallel and the past um, the past three years when I've had to sit with my thoughts a lot and I've had to sort of look on how I approach life and how I approach being an actor. Um, this is a bit of a side, but not really. When I was really, really sick, um, we didn't think that I was going to be able to rejoin society. I was sort of being not groomed by my doctors, but, um, made aware by my doctors that there was a big possibility that I was going to end up never being able to have any sort of job. And I was just going to be someone who is in pain all the time and is on bed rest all the time. And that's it. And the one thing that I kept wanting and that I kept saying was, I just want to act again. And it, I think, reignited the fact that this is what makes me the happiest and what I want to do and what um, I'm supposed to be doing. And all of that to say, when I've come back to acting now, um, it means a lot more to me, but also feels a lot less stressful and a lot less important. And I'm not saying that it's so important to me and I take my job so seriously and I love working at it, but I think what taking a step back for so long, a forced step back, like I didn't want to stop working, uh, but I couldn't move <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so I, um, I now see what you're saying about like the hyper observant. I see that I don't always need to, to like push to be in that state. Um, and that I, um, I've had a lot of conversations recently. It's so funny, you know, there's like a thread in your life and you <laughs> yeah. like, and I'm like, I always jokingly say that it's the universe trying to send me a message that I'm not listening to. And it's like, I got it. Like, stop. <laughs> but something that I keep hearing or seeing or reading recently is when is the last time that holding on really, really, really tightly to something that you wanted actually ended up with you having that thing that you wanted. Like never, that, that's not how life works. And I think that that's what it's made me realize now, or that's how I see the parallel now, is that I can't be a perfect patient and I can't be a perfect actress and I can't catch all of the symptoms and I can't catch all of the little notes and that's totally okay and that's what I bring to it. And I think that that's what I'm now, yeah trying to obviously this is me saying this and I'm, I'm I live it but also have days where I beat myself up if I don't notice something or I beat myself up if I do a scene or I'm working on something and it doesn't if I put so much pressure on myself but I think that that's that's where the journey has brought me now I, I feel a lot less pressure to be perfect yeah that that's, that's kind of a perfect thread to pull from both, both channels, I guess yeah. you could mm -hmm. say, because yeah, as much like 
it almost sounds like you found the right amount of joy in being able to analyze your craft and mm-hmm. rework a scene and play in it, but also be a being able to know when you you're supposed to drop it and go home. You drop the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and acknowledging and, and and finding that satisfaction in the work and being able to only really hold on to that as you move forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we talked about that in earlier episodes. Uh, I, I think we briefly mentioned, or no, maybe I did talk about it with for the Lewis episode. Um, I, I've had my own struggles with being able to drop work and leave mm-hmm. it, and sometimes going a little too method and yeah. taking that work home with me yeah. unwittingly. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's kind of part of the, the no, for sure. practice that you're trying to always get better at finding that balance, I think, as an actor. Without a doubt. And, and I think that even more, I have to drop it. Sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's, I am someone who I like doing well at things. So I like, (laughs) I like working at it. And I think that that's one thing that, that I used to have difficulty with is I would overwork things. And I think that now all of my acting coaches are like, you think, (laughs) um, but, but I think it's given me a lot more freedom in that, in knowing that that it's, it's fine and what I show up with. That's the other thing that I, I'm still every day working at, but I'm doing my best all the time. And that doesn't mean that I have to, I think I used to think that doing your best meant doing really great all the time, but sometimes because I'm in a lot of pain or because, um, I haven't slept because I, my pain was keeping me up or because my anxiety is spiking or I'm depressed. Doing my best is doing my best. It doesn't have to end up in great work all the time. And I don't have to feel shitty if it doesn't make great work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that understanding that is something that I still am, am processing, but, but it's been really cool to sort of, get back into work and then I think that like you said because they're parallel journeys in some way I'm learning a lot about myself as a spoonie oh right you're through like, oh yeah yeah is. I'll explain it right after but yeah I think that both teach me so much about the other thing and I think that that's so I'm so lucky I'm so lucky that I get to do that because if I had a very typical job where I didn't get to analyze myself constantly, I probably wouldn't have as much knowledge and as much um, exposure to what's going on in my, in my brain. Um, but yeah, just the Spoonie quick thing quickly. Um, so Spoonie is a term that I don't know what her name is, but I, when I first, when I first was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I did the thing that we all now do, which is Googled it and um, it's dangerous and now I don't allow myself to do it anymore to Google my illnesses. Um, right. I'm but, dying. Yeah, no, you're always dying. And also it's so funny because a lot of these chronic illnesses or autoimmune diseases, the symptoms are all the same and then you diagnose yourself with so many and then I actually had, I know I'm going on a tangent now, but it was so funny because after I had my first big diagnosis, kept going back to my doctors and being like, okay, so I think I might also have this. I want to get tested that. And they're like, you already got diagnosed. Like you're done. Like stop searching. And one, I was so used to 
being a detective that I was like, no, 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 we're not done. And it turns out I was right and we weren't done. And so now I, I don't blame myself when I'm on a search for what I have. But, but yeah, I, uh, I Googled it. And one of the first things that came up was a blog post by a woman um, where she described what being a spoonie was. And I was like, weird, like, why is this? Like, this is, what is a strange word? And um, I'm gonna just tell the story because it's quicker. Um, she talks about how she was with one of her really good friends at a diner and they were talking and then her friend, out of um, sheer curiosity, asked her to describe what it's like to have a chronic illness because she was like, you look fine to me right now and I see you on some days and I know you're struggling and then I see you on other days and I, I can't tell if you're struggling and it's not something that I can understand and I just want to understand. And the, the woman then um, obviously was like, how do I explain this? Because it's hard to explain something that is constantly there but also doesn't define you, but then does define you. And it's just hard to explain what it feels like because it's never the same. And that's what I always tell people. Like, mm -hmm. I can't tell you, I could have a constant monologue about what my body feels like, but that's yeah. not what anybody wants to be hearing. And I don't really want to do that. Um, but anyways, she talks about, she was looking for a way to explain it. And so she grabbed on the table at the diner, there was a mug with a bunch of teaspoons in it. And she grabbed the handful of teaspoons and was like, every morning, everyone in the world wakes up and they have a certain amount of spoons and that spoon is then used to perform certain activities. So brushing your teeth, making a meal, going to work, working out activities, big and small, all require a certain amount of spoons and everyone's um, spoon cost is different for different activities. But for someone who has a chronic illness, we can't wash those spoons halfway through the day. And if you borrow spoons from the next day, then you won't be able to, to like make up for it. Um, so it's basically a way of quantifying the difficulties with having to constantly be aware of energy expenditure. Expen Sure. I was like, yeah. why is that word not coming out of my mouth? Energy expenditure. And then also she talks about how, and then some days I'll be hit with a migraine in the middle of the day and that will steal all the rest of the spoons that I had for that day. And I can't do anything. And yeah. So then she explained that story and then started calling herself a spoonie. And then it just sort of caught on. And it's a way that uh, people with chronic illnesses um, identify each other. I think it can apply to anything. I don't think it has any sort of like strict guidelines, but anyone who has to be aware, yeah, of their energy and of their symptoms on a day-to-day -day basis. So mm. I call myself a spoonie a lot on my Instagram and that's actually another way in the beginning that I ended up, I know I'm jumping, but ended up not feeling alone in this because when you first get diagnosed with something like a weird word like fibromyalgia where you don't even really understand what it means and no one can explain it to you properly. Finding any sort of um, community is really great and Spoonie is how I first connected with people on social media. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool and also in the beginning I was sort of 
I think just being an actress and being an artist and talking a lot. <laughs> I've never had an issue being really open with what I'm going through. And so I, I automatically started speaking on uh, my Instagram account really openly about what being diagnosed was like and what dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis was like. Um, it definitely has evolved and now I feel like I'm more adamant about being open clearly. I think at the beginning you kind of don't want to put, or maybe I don't want to put my shit on other people. And so mm -hmm. in the beginning it was so hard because I was like, I don't want to sound like I'm whining. And yeah, but yeah. It's, it's kind of revelatory to find mm -hmm. the benefits that come with finding community in, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in I mean, even going back to the conversation that we, the, the talk we were at earlier, um, they mentioned in more of a spiritual way, or I, I think it was an actual quote from um, probably King James or something, but talking of how when, when Jesus says, mm. when when there are three, uh, basically, like, you'll you'll find me, or, or how when you fall in love, you aren't just two people, you become three. Like, mm -hmm. the power that comes in numbers, and how even thinking of, um, like, Narcs Anon, Alcohol Anon, these groups were created because they know the power of community and being able to find the benefits from that. And I think um, I think that's also one, one of the reasons why I wanted to be a part of something like this podcast, starting, mm -hmm. starting conversation where people can just start connect, like having that conversation, having outlets and finding... Just being able to meet you today, and yeah. but like I feel like I have found Tanya already knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> that I feel like I found sister. a soul yeah, sister for sure. because yeah. because you find that commonality, and it's such it, that's the joy. Like that's you, that's yeah, that spark sure. in your heart that you like you're sparking your spark. And, <laughs> and because I'm missing that all the time. Now. Spark in your spark. Queen. Yeah. And I I came from a family that never really spoke mm. about the the shadow side of emotions. Mm -hmm. the, same. Like, I, I remember really, like, I, I remember vividly sitting at the dinner table and wanting to burst into tears because I wanted so badly to talk about the things that I was feeling and I didn't really want to put labels of, I still hesitate to use words like um, depression and anxiety. I mean, I do, I, I'm a little bit looser with them, but um, not in a way where I feel ashamed to use it because I, I, uh, I just wish that there, there's just so much, like, it doesn't do enough and they come with their own stigmas because For sure. there are already so many different stories attached to them, right? And I think I, I've come to a place of, of being, understanding myself better when I talk about it in terms of, like, lighter emotions and darker emotions mm -hmm. or a, a lightness and a, dark, a heavier. Um, yeah. a weight. Like um, a, yeah, yeah it's different colors. Like, it, I, it, I do see it a little bit more as a spectrum, um... Of actually, one of my Reiki healers gave me this diagram that I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I'm in tune with. It's a a diagram of a rainbow, and every every color of the rainbow has a, a couple of different emotions that are associated with it. And when you are feeling, and again, like because. It, I see it better that way because words are very limiting. Language is limiting. Mm -hmm, it's it, mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons why you know it, it's a great powerful tool. Just like story, we can connect with people, and that is so important to connect mm -hmm. uh, to when you're dealing with the suffering. You know, going back to Buddhism, <laughs> which we were talking about earlier too. But um, 
to be able to understand things in a way that doesn't require the words, but, Mm -hmm. but to, to, I think that's what kind of makes me hesitant and, and what I'm, I was, the fear that I was carrying, even wanting to talk about, you know, this quote unquote depression I was feeling when I was younger, sitting at the dinner table and, and because, because I had already tried to bring it up and talk about it and realized that it was a family that kind of shunned that conversation away Mm -hmm. and excused it and it didn't feel inviting, um, that it made it harder for me to find a, a, the my own language for it. No, for sure. And I think just um, what I found it really interesting at the talk that we were just at, that they were really keen on not putting words to specific things. Like mm-hmm. they were like, we don't want to put language in what you're just saying. But that's all you can really do when you're no. having a conversation. So it was I kind know. of interesting to be like, to be okay, like, hey, though, you don't want to push buttons. But of course I'm like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> push buttons. Say a word, please. Mm-hmm. But I, I had a really hard time. I don't know why anxiety was something that I didn't have an, a hard time communicating and, and, um, owning and saying that I was dealing with. And I think I first noticed my anxiety when I was diagnosed, but I think that I've had anxious feelings or been dealing with some form of anxiety, um, for years now. And I first started talking about it when I was first diagnosed. And I also, um, didn't mention this when I was listing off things, but this is not technically a chronic illness, but I have PTSD from um, coding in a CT scan machine because I'm anaphylactic. Um, I'm allergic to uh, contrast dye or iodine. And I think that was easy for me to discuss. But depression is something that I, in a similar way to what you're saying, had such a hard time in the beginning being able to say, I'm dealing with depression or I'm depressed. And still when I say it, I'm like, I don't know how to say this properly to convey what I'm trying to say. Cause it almost doesn't resonate perfectly. No. And it doesn't explain what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm forcing myself to use it more openly only because it's not a word that I heard a lot or that I hear a lot now. And I think that the more, um, the more that it's said, the less that it's going to have this weight for me. Yeah. And I talked about it um, pretty openly on my um, social media. But I recently, so I, <laughs> I re-entered society, like I like to say, um, <laughs> in January. So like five months ago. And in the beginning, everything's new and great and fun. And it's so cool. And new it feels new and so it's it's easy to sort of not notice things but i noticed three and a half months ago yeah early april i'm or not three and a half months ago <laughs> early april <laughs> so three months into it i noticed um that i was having a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning and by that i i mean i always have a hard time physically getting out of bed um because of physical symptoms but i didn't want to get out of bed And I felt, like you were saying earlier with the spectrum, I felt dark all the time. I hated everything. And I just didn't want to do anything. And I didn't want, I didn't want anything. Like the the word that keeps like spinning in my head is no. Like I just felt so much no about all the things. And 
I think that because of my experience with chronic illnesses at this point, I knew that that wasn't normal for me. And I knew that I wanted to not be in that state. So I immediately, and I've been seeing a psychologist and a therapist and psychiatrist for years. And I immediately sought out help and um, wanted support from other people and started talking about it openly on my social media because I wanted to, I wanted to, to bring light to this thing that I feel like we don't talk about. But I, all of this to say, when I went to see my doctors and one of the first things that he talked about was to, not one of the first things, I'm making it sound terrible. At the end of our 40 minute visit, he was like, do you want to take any medication for this? And I, in the past, have dealt with similar circumstances and I've always said no. And this time I said yes, because I was in, I knew that I needed it. And it's the one drug that I like, or the one time that I, I almost felt shame for needing it. And I take medication for anxiety every day. I take pain medication. I take so many, <laughs> I take a lot of pills because I need to. Mm -hmm. And I felt shame for needing this thing with depression. And I'm still, it's very fresh and new and I'm working on understanding where that comes from. But I think I relate so much to what you said about growing up in an environment where the dark feelings are feelings that you don't address. When I first got to drama school, I had gone through high school in drama school, but I mean, it's high school. Mm -hmm. And then I got to drama school and for the first three months of drama school, I worked on getting angry because I could not. There was such a block because I had never, I didn't grow up in an environment where not necessarily was it not safe to get angry, but it's just not something that was done. Hmm. And, and so I didn't know how to do it. I actually could not tap into that. Right. And sadness obviously came from all of that as well. And yeah, so it's been really interesting, but I can relate so much to what you're saying about not wanting to put those words onto anything because it also isn't like when I say I have endometriosis, it doesn't carry the same sort of like, like energy around it as saying I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And um, it also like having, yeah. having conversations about what you're going through with doctors or with family members or with friends mm -hmm. or with anybody, um, it, it helps, it helps you understand it a little mm -hmm. bit more. And even if, you know, in the end, the word depression isn't the right label, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. um, the fact that you, you know, you're moving into the shame and accepting that and just taking the pill because you also know that it's something mm -hmm. that you, like, you're the only one that can tell, can recognize whether or not you need it, yeah. and you haven't figured out what the words are yet, and if shame is what you're feeling right now, um, and, and you're acknowledging that, and being able to then move past that and figure out what that next thing that you need to know about it is going to be. I think that the un the unraveling of that and understanding it to, to figure out how to better heal you and take care of you and live your life is so important mm -hmm. um, and kind of circles back to, you know, when you go to the doctor and they ask you on a scale of one to six and it's kind of challenging. It almost, um, it's almost a defeatist mentality that mm. I have and that I had with even, even now that I have, like, I still don't 
speak comfortably about the things that I'm going through with my family, I think, because I grew, I kind of was taught that they, well, or at least I was learning mm -hmm. that it was difficult, and this is a story I tell myself, um, that I'm trying to unravel for myself, but I learned ha having conversations about whatever it is that I'm dealing with with my emotions or endometriosis and the pains that I'm going through, um, let's call them my illnesses no matter what they are, the yeah. blanket illnesses, I learned it is difficult to have that conversation with my family. And even, mm -hmm. and, and so I'm unraveling that, but even now, even these days, I, I had a moment of like, it was a very stressful moment of trying to talk about something specific um, with my illnesses, with my mom. And her immediate suggestion was um, to start taking a look at medication. And I'm like, no, I, that's not where I'm going with it. And I know, like, I find other practices. I'm finding other things that are working mm -hmm. for me to help me with my anxiety and to help me with the pain that I deal with with uh, uh, endo. And, um, and I, I kind of, I'm still, I'm trying to not have it be a, a biased confirmation where every time I talk about these things with my parents that I get annoyed or angry at the fact that they just try to fix it with like the same way that the medical system in Western society, like yeah. it's, and, and there's nothing wrong with medication. Sometimes it is needed, For but, sure. but like, listen, you're the only person who can know what's going on inside yeah. of you and listening to that and and having other people try to find that solution for you or say that they know better in a sense yeah, yeah. is is that a challenging to step it. trying to fix it when you said mm -hmm. that i was like yes fix. because yeah. everyone wants to help you and fix you i mean not everyone some people are terrible but they want the best for you yeah, yeah. but like it's also it's, it's kind of annoying even the song fix you by coldplay i can't stand <laughs> i can't stand because that was also part of like targeting back to old relationships oh, that one of my ex-boyfriends like I will try to fix basically it. Yeah. yeah and I'm like that's why you like this song because he wanted to fix me I'm like I don't need fixing and if I do I'm gonna be able to do it for myself yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. need you for that and, but that's other so people, interesting yeah I never even thought of that song now I will never be able to I'm sorry to I just ruined okay. that song for don't everybody remember. except for him probably probably still loves Coldplay um but um yeah I think Figuring out what you said as well resonates with me because when I first was diagnosed with my first illness, let alone all the other shit after, I was like, all right, what am I supposed to do? And the thing is, because my body is so nice to ever, me, um, it, there's no specific, I, okay, I'm jumping around. I'm going to be more clear. <laughs> I remember being angry that I didn't get one of those diseases that has a clear treatment path. I was like, I remember saying, I don't feel it anymore. I'm trying, I was just did a like scan to be like, do I still think this? But I remember saying like, I wish I had cancer where there's like, here's what you're supposed to do to fix this. And I'm not saying I'm not being insensitive to cancer. I just mean like, that's a specific one. Like I wish I had diabetes where there's like specific things that you can do to treat it. Mm -hmm. All of my Illnesses. Seems like clearer actions to be taken yeah. to be able to move away from it. Exactly. And more specific um, treatment plans where there's like a already things that work. All of my illnesses, all of them? Yeah. Pretty much all of them don't have specific treatment uh, plans and don't have specific things that work. It's like, we can try this. Some people, it works great. Or, oh, whoops, you're allergic to it. Like there's so many yeah. weird, un 
it's so unstable and you end up having to be such a huge health advocate for yourself to to go through that journey and so i think that it was a lot of work to get to where i am now and when you were saying that you um sometimes pills aren't what i need and i discovered acupuncture and cupping and therapy i can't say enough about I remember first getting diagnosed and being like, my, my doctor was like, I think you should see a psychologist. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> and I had already seen a psychologist before. So it wasn't that I didn't want to deal with a psychologist, but I was just like, I don't see how this is going to help physical pain. But they are so related. And the minute that you um, allow yourself to truly be the only person who knows what you need as your next step, I think is, is a really important hurdle to jump over where you realize in this day and age when you're dealing with this kind of chronic illness but I think in some ways for everyone hmm. you're the one who knows best what is working and what isn't mm -hmm. and and just go with that I think that that's something that I the minute that I let go of trying to because I have so many specialists and I that's one thing that I think is so lacking in our um, medical system is I have so many specialists who don't really talk to each other and no. who only talk to each other through me and You're that's a link. lot yeah and that's a lot of pressure to put on someone who isn't well and also I mean I deal with fibro fog a lot which means that my brain is just kind of foggy to not describe that properly but you know what I mean mm -hmm. and so I forget, we were talking about this earlier before we were recording, I forget dates. And I also can't perfectly describe my symptoms. Like I find it so funny where they're like, is the pain stabby or like searing? And I'm like, what? Like, I, like how do we know that my stabby is different? You know what I mean? Like it's so yeah. not, and so there's so much responsibility put on us. And I remember talking to my mom and being like, I know that there are health advocates out there that you can hire and that basically follow you around and are there to be your person. And in many ways, my mom is amazing and took a lot of time off work and became my health advocate. But you have to own it and you end up having to, to really fight for what is important to you and what you want out of different treatments and what you're willing to try and not willing to try. And in the beginning, I just wanted to do anything and everything that they told me. And so I, oh, hello. So I got like, just is bopping up on me. Hello, cat. But um, yeah, I ended up really wanting to, again, do it perfectly. And so I was like, how do I do exactly what they want me to do? Because that's how I'm going to be healthy. And that's not how you're going to be healthy. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely. Well, I think garlic just, um, just, Interrupted the the perfect segue moment. You're like you are the segue. <laughs> da, 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 da. We're gonna move towards just hanging out with you in a moment, um, and we have been chatting for uh, over an hour and a half. This is one of the longer episodes. We could Sorry, team. We <laughs> could we could definitely keep going, and I know we're gonna have we'll, we'll yes, do we'll do, tea, do another tea day soon. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but let's bring it around, bring it full circle, and, oh, yeah. and back to menopause and half. <laughs> Not that that has to be your hot thing. That was no, but it can be my cool thing. Yeah. Um, we do a segment called One Cool Thing at the end of our episodes, and Tony doesn't have one cool thing. Do you have one cool thing? I mean, I can tell. It's not that cool, but I can tell you about... So one of the treatments... I've had a lot of weird treatments, but one of the treatments that I had was Lupron, and it is 
controversial, but I, it was the right decision for me at that moment. And it's controversial because being put into menopause can have a lot, or not being put into menopause, but taking Lupron can have a lot of side effects that are really horrendous. And I know that it was used in the past with a lot less structure around it. And women ended up with osteoporosis and breaking all their bones and really bad um, mental symptoms as well, like some, some scary depression um, symptoms. And so I know that it has a lot of weight but I had a really great experience with it, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, I decided to be on Lupron to treat my endometriosis, and um, it basically put me into menopause, and that came with all of the baggage that comes with menopause. And it's funny to be 29 and in menopause, because I was talking about, we were saying it was hot, and then I was like, ugh, like, I never understood, I'm always cold. If you know me in real life, I'm constantly shivering, I'm constantly like layering things, and I'm always cold. And so I went from that to having actual hot flashes. And I know that we all kind of like mock women in menopause, and you know, like, ah, hot flash. Hot flashes are so intense. You literally go from being normal to being on fire and dripping in sweat. And it was so funny because um, a good family friend was going through menopause at the same time as I was put into menopause. And uh, we were at dinner one night and I had got this spray from Sage. Sage, sponsor all of us, please. Yes, please. Um, thank you, Sage. Sage, Sage. Sage, thank you. But um, I had got the spray for menopause, for hot flashes, from Sage. And I think we sprayed ourselves in this restaurant. I'm not 20 times within one dinner and I was like people in this restaurant must think that we are insane because we would both just get up and uh, and just like spray ourselves everywhere and I was like I'm so sorry because I don't want to like make the restaurant smell like this lovely sage product and I was like I'm so sorry but it is I would also wake up the thing that they don't talk about this is not a sexy topic but it's fine <laughs> night sweats what the fuck? Like, night sweats are gross and also so intense. So, yeah, night sweats and um, hot flashes. And then, yeah, those are the only two. I also had some fog that came from it, like some mental issues with focusing. But that was my experience with menopause. And I feel like it's a pretty, like, fun fact to tell people when you end up, like, needing a fun fact. Um, you can tap into it if you ever have to play somebody who's going through menopause. Agreed. Oh, I never thought of that. Actors, we're always Ooh. thinking of how can I use this? But yeah, so I've already dealt with menopause and I feel extra ready for when I deal with that later on in life. Got my safe spray, I'm good to get Yeah, like I already have my... my You're stocking my, up oh. for when you turn 50. <laughs> I have my technique, my like, my coping skills all ready to go. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. I was mentioning before that my one cool thing was going to be um, the crystal convention that we went to. Um... But there's something else that popped into my head. You mentioned very quickly, and just oh. like I did a scan, and it made me oh. made me aware of how often I've been doing body scans. Yes, um, which I I didn't I didn't realize how often I was doing it already for mm -hmm. my career, for my for like mm -hmm. just for my practice and my craft as an artist. Yeah. Uh, when you're warming up and you you become very aware, you literally a body scan. Um, is exactly what it sounds like. You literally just take your focus, your your mental capacity, 
and you move it through your body. So um, sometimes, uh, like the Stanislavski stem of um, method would be a you could be doing it on a chair, your chair exercises, and so you're also moving your you moving your limbs in different parts of your body as mm-hmm. well to start to pay attention to how you actually feel physically, to start to transition into different mental states, your mental arena, the yeah. mental gym that you're working on as an actor. Um, and because I've started doing a lot more meditation and because I've been a lot more aware, putting more focus on um, the connection between my mind and my body, um, just in, in everyday practice, the scan is, that, that was the other thing I was going to mention instead of not just the, because I, I love crystals. I mean, we talk, <laughs> we're talking about crystals on every other episode from here on, I'm sure. But the fact that, ooh, nope. That was my other one. <laughs> okay, so because Tanya doesn't have one, I have three to make up for it. Um, Abraham Hicks is someone I've... This is, this is going to be your one cool thing, because yeah. you love it, too. this, I just introduced, reintroduced you to Abraham Hicks. Well, technically, my Reiki master did, but huh. you or Aunt Lee was just or the I exact same timing that though. you... You're like, have you heard of this? And I'm like weird I think that was something my that's the universe just... being like pay attention to this yeah that's so I've been listening to a lot of Abraham Hicks mm. as well um usually I do I mean sometimes I do body scans while I'm listening to it but like they're all kind of separate things I uh that tie together I'll mm-hmm. use crystals sometimes when I'm meditating I usually hold at least one sometimes I hold one in each hand sometimes I'll like cover my whole body I usually sit upright so I'll have them like all over my legs yeah but I also just bought um, chakra stones, yeah. dip, like a set of different stones that are uh, said to resonate at the, the right frequency, specifically yeah. for each chakra. Um, and I think that's also why I like to talk about these different, wh- whatever illness or whatever um, issue I'm dealing with, I like to talk about it also in terms of color because it's, for sure. it's easy, like even just understanding chakras in different colors and yeah. understanding emotions in different colors and, and how the, what's happening inside of you, it does, if you close it, if you sit with yourself long enough, you start to, you just see it in a different way that isn't verbal mm-hmm. from the, I don't know, archaic days? <laughs> I was going to say from the like general um what, what was the word they kept Free using language. to me yeah the, 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 the when microcosm yeah the microcosm the that were sent down on the fall from the first kingdom <laughs> yeah. um, so but like that yeah. if uh, i'll put these all in the show notes for the cool things but abraham hicks is uh i guess another sort of it's what Chan- esther and jerry channel it's like an entity that they channel or a spirit that they channel or a, mm-hmm. a um let's call it a voice. It's, it's not necessarily them, but yeah, it's an energy that, that, that they channel. Um, what I guess when they are, since they've been able to bring themselves to a place of, or learn how to, I guess, meditate themselves to mm-hmm. a place of Zen, or like, I don't know if this is all the same. I feel like these are different philosophies kind of folding over each yeah, other, yeah. but to be able to relax their consciousness enough to allow their subconscious well, no, I guess okay. I guess it's more so just being able to relax, relax their ego enough so that mm-hmm. consciousness itself, because Abraham Hicks talks about the fact that everything is just, 
it, like if you want to think about consciousness as the god like mm-hmm. replacing the word god with consciousness that is all that there is yeah um that's all that we are and it vibrates or or resonates at certain frequencies the same way that ever like even a color if you look at the spectrum of colors how reds and infrareds reds are this wide yopping um sound wave i guess you could say like the, the wave it's mm-hmm. it's a frequency and then you have your ultraviolets that are these tiny high pitch ones yeah. and the fact that we can understand colors in waves and sounds in waves and everything else that all of our human senses can perceive are all understood in different frequencies it's that's all that there is and yeah. and i and that's been kind of what i've been following i guess you could say or allowing myself to to put my focus on whenever I'm meditating and and sitting with Crystal. <laughs> so you know so I get to me. I was gonna say it's so funny when we I get subconscious. <laughs> I have pigtails and a crystal around her neck. A crystal around I'm all like I was covering the crystals, but yeah, no. Um, and what are these Aztec pants? <laughs> I'm no, I'm not against hippies. I just find it. I get self-conscious when I fall too deeply into that because I'm like I don't want. No, this to no. seem un new age exactly like, yeah. I actually sometimes still feel like that when I'm in I I love books so yeah, um, yeah we talked about this earlier too yeah, I picked obsessed. up a book on the side of the street uh just I like so many places have these little free libraries or like boxes boxes are like, like public like, yeah free leave a book, book. Um, take a, so, leave a book. Yeah, take a book. What is leave it? a book, take a book. Yeah, it's like for Toronto trying to crack down this very frustrating oh. um on the free libraries because oh. government or uh, ours. Yeah, they're <laughs> reptilians. <laughs> Illuminati. Um, but yeah, sometimes when I go into bookstores, I do still feel a little self-conscious conscious when I'm in the new age section. Without a doubt. It's the same way as you feel yeah. self-conscious when you're in the self-help area of yeah. books. Like, or... You just want to turn around to somebody who's walking by and be like, yes, I'm in the new age section. Yeah. What's it to you? Like, you're no, literally sure. not even near me. Although like, the last time I was in that section, there was like eight other people around. Oh, like, yay. Cool, mm-hmm. yay. And then you want to like be like, let's be friends, no? Like, <laughs> you're like, hi. Because <laughs> that's not the And they're the person that's like, what are you looking at? Yeah, and like, oh, sure. no, wrong for energy. Sure. Um, just what you said before was I've been dealing with that recently about the scan. I know we're getting super long. Sorry, team. It's so no, I was just looking at the battery. I don't oh. have my like computer plugged in, so it's gonna die. So okay. that will be very bad. The, no, the scanning thing. Um, I recently talked to my psychologist, who is a specialist in um, people dealing with chronic illnesses, and I recently told her about how many scans I do, and it's such a part of my vocabulary from acting. I think. Mm-hmm. That she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, like I scan, like like you said, I loved when you were like, you bring your focus to different areas of your body. And I do hundreds of scans a day. And that's something that I started doing, I think, to that extent when I first was spending days in hospital beds or beds in general. Mm-hmm. And because I wanted to be hyper aware of my symptoms. And it's definitely something that I do automatically now. I don't have to think about it. And when I was talking to her about it in the beginning, she was like, I, I, I think that maybe you don't need to do as many as this. And then we talked about it for a full session. And by the end, I think that what we both got to was that I'm not doing them on purpose as a tick or as 
a um, coping skill that needs to be uh, dealt with. And in some ways, it's actually a really great tool. And so again, to show how acting and life end up being hand in hand, I was so lucky that that's something that I already did all the time, mm -hmm. naturally. And yeah, so thanks, acting. Everyone should become an actor. Yeah, that's the basic I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, please. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. Okay, cool. This was amazing. This was amazing. Yeah, thank so you so, so much. much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for I being a guest with us. Oh my god, it was yes, so much fun. Thank you. Come back again. We obviously have more to talk about, so we'll have, <laughs> uh, we'll have. Oh my god, either I'm gonna edit this into two episodes, or we'll just <laughs> have another episode with you back. No, I would love that. Yeah, amazing. I was so fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you like this podcast you can support it by subscribing to it on itunes soundcloud stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also leave us a rating or review which sincerely helps us and we absolutely love come hang out with us on instagram facebook and twitter and send us your questions recommendations and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com thanks for listening to we're totally not okay but that's okay <laughs> 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 <laughs>